But uh, the Word of God, and I know this is a little bit redundant for almost everybody here, but the Word of God is absolutely true. God is not a man that he should lie, and as Paul wrote to Timothy, all Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's uh, God's promises, it's his menu, it's the authentic description of who he is, his ways, and his values. And uh, there are so many amazing promises in the Bible. But there's also, it's filled with challenges. And one of the challenges is not just not doing certain things that we shouldn't do or starting to do certain things that we haven't been doing. But part of the challenge is really daring to believe in the goodness of God. And this morning I spoke about that when Lazarus died, Martha and Mary, who loved Jesus so deeply, when they came out to where he was outside the village, even though they loved him, they rebuked him and said, why didn't you come earlier when we sent for you? If you had, you could have healed them. You're going all over Israel healing everybody else. Why couldn't you have come and prayed for Lazarus and now he's dead? But Jesus gave her a word, and as we talked about, she kind of relegated that word for the sweet by and by, not realizing Jesus was giving her a now word. And uh, finally, Jesus said, roll away the stone when he went to the tomb. And Martha objected, said, well, by now the body's going to stink. He's been dead four days. But he said, did I not say to you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so they rolled away the stone, and he shouted, Lazarus, come forth. And even with the grave clothes wrapped around his head, he walked out of there completely alive. And this is the challenge before us, to really take hold of the promises of God and believe. And hope is good. Faith, hope, and love are all important, Paul said. The greatest goal, that is love. That is the goal. But faith is the currency that gets us through the door into the, the love of God and the reality of that love. Because in the kingdom of God, love is not a, it's not a noun. It's not, a, you know, it's, it's not just a vibe or a feeling or an attitude, and it's even more than a theology. Love is a verb. It's an action. In fact, John said, do not love in word or tongue, but love in deed and truth, because in the kingdom, God's love is measured in what he does and what we do in response to that. And this is the challenge before us, to dare to believe, not just when we get to heaven, but right now, in the dirty now and now, the goodness of God. And isn't it interesting that the most repeated verse in all the Bible is this phrase, he is good, he is good and his loving kindness endures forever. It's what they sang when the glory of God came down, when Solomon dedicated the temple. But it's also one of the Psalms David wrote, and I can't remember what's 22 or 28 verses, but over and over and over again, he is good, he is good, and his loving kindness endures forever. And as I said, hope is good, But hope is not enough. Hope gives us a platform, and on that platform, we dare to pray, we dare to seek, we dare to try to understand the ways of God, and from hope, we move into faith. And as the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 11, verse 1, 
faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's not just the general vague expectation that maybe God will do something, but it's the assurance of things hoped for. It's the substance, the conviction of those things that are not seen. And it's interesting when in Hebrews 11.1, when it uses that word conviction, the conviction of things not seen, it's the same word that we would use in a legal sense as if you were in a jury. And I don't know how your courts work in the U.K., but in America, typically a jury is 11 or 12 people. And say you were sitting there in a jury and there's someone accused of robbing a bank. But, you know, let's say they've cut all the electrical feeds and there's no live cameras and all of that. You can't physically see any evidence of that man going in and robbing the bank. But yet there's such complete, solid, concrete evidence that even though you can't see him having done that, you know that you know that you know he's guilty. And that is the word conviction, that faith, it's more than hope. Hope is a platform that leads to faith. Because we have hope, we pray, we seek, we trust, we study God in his ways. But out of hope in the relationship, God gives faith. And faith is the currency of the kingdom of God. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 5, Paul wrote to the church and said, God not only gives you the Holy Spirit, but he works miracles in your midst. And so if God says he does miracles in our midst and we're not commonly experiencing miracles, believe me, it's not because God has changed his mind. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the fault, if it's not with God, must be on the other side of the coin with you and me. And I believe God is wanting to challenge us to not just move into another realm of worship as foundational as important that is, but to see the fruit of walking with God, breaking loose to a greater degree, not only in the church and to the church, but through the church. One person's excited. I'll kind of focus over there, whoever that is. <laughs> to the church, but through the church. We're called to live, as we talked about the other day, open-handed lives of freely receiving but freely giving. And faith, it's the currency of the kingdom. If you've got it, you can go places and you can do things. Um, I minister, um, as many of you know, all over the globe, and I usually go once a year to Toronto, Canada, sometimes twice a year. A couple of churches I minister there regularly. And in the Catch the Fire church there in Toronto, I was there uh, this, mo- this January doing a weekend of meetings, but they told me a testimony that actually happened the year before in March of 2018. And we were doing meetings there, and a young woman in 2018 walked up to me, and actually you can find this on our ministry's Facebook page. It's down there somewhere. We have a testimony of her. She and her family immigrated about five years ago from Egypt to Toronto, and she uh, asked not to give her name because of, you know, a Muslim background. There could be repercussions, all that sort of thing with her family because she has completely given her life to Christ. But anyway, uh, about two years ago now, two and a half years ago, she came down with a neurological disorders disorder that basically causes all your nerve endings in your body to begin to deteriorate. 
And according to doctors, it is the most painful disease known to humanity. It is the most painful disease known to medicine, science, all of that, because literally over time, all of your nerve endings begin to just get destroyed. But the double side of that coin is there is no known cure for this. By the time we were doing this meeting in uh, March or, or January of 2018, she had had this disease for about a year, year and a half, and she was just living in torment. She was getting a lot of painkillers there from um, the, the hospital in Toronto, but as well, she was going across the border. The border to, from Toronto is only about an hour away, going in Canada, going to a hospital in the United States, and getting neurological blockers because she just could not live with the pain. It was absolute. And she would spend many days just in bed, just unable to function because of the pain. But she came to the meetings we were doing uh, Jan, uh, January of uh, 2018, and we prayed for her, and she came up and, and told me her problem. Now, here's the thing about faith, is there's usually two or three people involved of when God does a healing or a miracle or breakthrough. And what I mean by that is maybe you're the person that needs the breakthrough, but it might be the person praying for you who has the faith. You might just have a little bit of faith, enough to ask for prayer, but God could amazingly gift that other person in prayer. Or it could be friends of yours that do something like drag you to church or insist that you keep getting prayer. We see evidence of all of this in the Bible. There's the story of Jesus at the Pool of Bethesda, a multitude of people there, blind, lame, withered, diseases, all sorts of things. But he only walked up to one person, and it says this man had been lame for 38 years. And he said to him, do you wish to get well? Do you wish to get well? What a silly question. But it wasn't silly. Because that man, even though he was laying there at the pool of Bethesda, a place where from time to time an angel would come and stir the waters, and whoever got in the waters first would be healed, although he was in that place where people were hoping for healing, he really did not have faith for healing. And when Jesus said, do you wish to get well? Well, I've tried it before. That's the Holy Spirit accentuating what I'm saying. I've tried it before. Somebody always gets in the water before me. But Jesus was persistent because Jesus was moving in what we would call out of 1 Corinthians 12, a word of knowledge from the Father going right up to that person. And he almost disregarded the man's unbelief, but he said, get up and walk. And the man was completely healed. In that case, it was Jesus, the one doing the praying, that was carrying the faith. But there's also the story of the friends that carried their fifth friend, the paralyzed man, to the meeting. Paralyzed in legs and arms. And they carry him on a cot. They bring him. The house is packed out. So in kind of an open uh, area roof, they lower him down. Have you ever read that story and wondered, did the man even want to be there? 
he could have been just having a good old time, you know, like watching a rerun on Survivor or something at home. And his friends come and throw him on this cot, carry him to the meeting and say, what are you doing? Well, we're taking you to the revival meeting. I don't want to go to no stinking revival meeting. Well, tough, you know, you're long for the ride. And when they lowered him down, it says that Jesus saw the faith of the four friends. It was their faith that carried the thing. But there were also times, like we're going to look at, the woman who had the issue of bleeding for some 11 years, I think it was. She came up behind the crowd and just touched Jesus' garment. And Jesus said, who touched me? I felt power flow out of me. And the woman realized she was kind of busted. So she said it was me. And she explained that she'd had spent everything she had on physicians for years and gotten more sick. But Jesus looked at her and said, daughter, your faith has made you well. So biblically, we see examples of the person who needs the healing or miracle having faith. We see examples of sometimes the friends having faith where the person might not. And sometimes we see the person who needs the healing not necessarily having a lot of faith. But when God speaks to you or as he spoke to Jesus, then the miracle took, took place. But this young woman, about 19 years old, just living in agony, she came up to me, told me about her disease, and said, would you pray for me? And she was in the meeting. She had hope. I think she had a bit of faith. But all of a sudden, I felt a flood of faith come from the Holy Spirit. Faith is a gift, it says in 1 Corinthians 12. And it's, it's something that we stir up within ourselves, but it's something as we press into God, he increases And I just felt faith come over me, and I prayed for her. And I said something that I normally don't say, because, you know, obviously this is a very serious disease. Her whole life is just basically spent on a bed in pain. But I said to her, I believe in just a few days you're going to see God work powerfully. And so this is her testimony that she told us in uh, January of this year. When I was there, she said about four days later, maybe five days on a Friday, she was laying in bed and she was just in absolute pain and agony. But she said all of a sudden the presence of God was there. And the presence of the Lord was so powerful, she really didn't know what was going on. She thought maybe the Lord had come to take her home because she was living in so much pain she couldn't conceive of just going on, living another 40, 50, 60 years like that. But all of a sudden, all of the pain was completely gone. And that had been about a year, 10 months, when I was back in Toronto. She was 100% healed. A disease that is the most painful disease known to medicine, but as well a disease that there is no known cure, she is free. And you know... Although I felt faith flooding me, she at least had faith the size of a mustard seed to be there at the meeting and come up for prayer. The opposite of that is I was speaking at a church one time in Johannesburg, South Africa, and the Lord gave me a word of knowledge for three specific different types of cancer, and one was cancer of the blood. And uh, nobody came up for that. And the meeting's over, a woman walks up to me, and said, uh, did anybody come forward for cancer of the blood? I said, no. And she said, well, my best friend is in the intensive care at the hospital. She has severe cancer of the blood. 
um, what do you think? And I'm thinking, well, maybe she's in a hospital nearby in Johannesburg. Maybe we can find time in the schedule to go pray for her, or I can pray for a prayer cloth. You can take it to her. You know, what do we want to do here? And I said, well, what, what hospital is she in? How far away is she? And she said, oh, she's in a hospital in Belfast. You know, that's just about 10,000 miles straight up and a little bit, you know, west. You know, And I thought, well, we're not going there tomorrow. <laughs> so this woman said to me, do you suppose that because the Lord gave you that word that you could lay hands on me and that God could use me to pray over the telephone for her? And God would do a healing. And to be honest with you, I was <laughs> I thought, sure, anything's possible. But I wasn't feeling it, you know. But I said to her, if you have faith for that, I had faith for somebody here. I'll pray for you if you've got faith for that. And so an absolute miracle took place. I prayed for the lady. She got on her the phone late that night, got hold of the woman in Ireland told her what had happened. The woman was a believer, prayed for her. The woman ended up having a deep sleep that night, and she woke up the morning feeling completely different. Three or four days later, the doctors and nurses are seeing such a change in her energy, her health, her appetite, everything. They ordered a whole new round of blood tests. And this is the report they sent me, that when they brought the report to her oncologist here at the hospital, the oncologist said to the person who brought it, You've brought the charts for a wrong patient because this patient who belongs to these charts does not have any cancer of the blood. But she was 100% healed. And that was the faith of that woman in Johannesburg. So why are you clapping about her faith, but you didn't clap for my faith for the from Toronto? Come on. <laughs> You know, David said, worship the Lord, oh my soul. Sometimes you've got to exhort yourself. That's part of the deal. So I want to ask you if you would turn to Mark chapter 5. We're going to be in the book of Mark looking at three different passages. Mark is a great book, great name. They spelled it wrong, but that's okay. <clears throat> so Mark chapter 9, or I'm sorry, Mark chapter 5. It says in verse 21, When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And so Jesus went with them. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. And she had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his garment. And she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. About four years ago in South London, in a community called Collierswood, anybody here familiar with that part of uh, You don't want to admit that you know anybody in London, do you? Uh, I, I see how it works here. 
But uh, we were doing meetings like here, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And on the Friday night, the Lord gave me a word that there was a woman there living in a lot of pain in her stomach, and she was scheduled to have an operation not too far away. And Lord wanted to heal her. So a woman came up, and uh, she uh, told me that she had developed five years ago, uh, began to have fibroid growth in her female region. And at first, the doctors didn't want to operate because they thought the danger of the operation was worse than the symptoms she was experiencing. But it got worse and worse and worse. She began to have continual uh, bleeding. She had a very good job that she had to quit because she just couldn't function on the job. She was living in intense pain, could barely sleep at night. And finally, after four or five years of this, she was scheduled to just a month later to have an operation. And she came forward, and we prayed for her. That was on a Friday night. She came back Saturday night and Sunday morning, and she testified. And she said, just like the woman here says in Mark, she says, when we were, I was prayed for, I felt something happening deep within me. And she said, I got home, and it was the first good night's sleep, pain-free, I've had in about two to three years. She said, normally, I'm in so much discomfort in the morning that I normally arrange for either a woman from the church or an next-door neighbor who's a friend of mine to come and help me just begin to function in the morning. But she said, this morning, I jumped out of bed. She shared this Saturday night. Sunday morning, she came, and the pastor had her get up in the middle of worship to give her testimony, and she had this plastic bag about this big filled with all the different bottles of all the meds she was on. And she was saying, I have about seven or eight bottles here of all the stuff I've been taking. I haven't taken anything from Friday night, and I feel so good. All the pain, all the distension is gone from my stomach. I was able to put on a dress this morning two sizes smaller than I've been able to wear in about three or four years. All of you women are really paying attention now. And uh, I'm sorry, this woman, her background was not British. It was Nigerian. She started leading a dance, and the place went crazy. And for about 45 more minutes, we just danced around the room, about six, 700 people. We had a great old time just celebrating the goodness of God. But here's what I want to point out to you about her testimony that she shared Sunday morning. She shared, when I came down with this disease about four or five years ago and it got progressively worse, I was praying. And one day the Lord spoke to me and she said, the Lord said to me, I am going to heal you. I am going to heal you. Now it didn't happen right then. It didn't happen that week, that month, that year. But as we examine biblical faith, like Abraham and Sarah, even when it became a total impossibility to have children, the promise of God in their life, they hung on to the promises of God. We live in this quick-fix, instant McDonald's Christianity age where we pray about something for two and a half minutes, and if it doesn't pan out, we think, ah, God doesn't want to do it. But faith is not just what we can mechanically drum up and have a hope for, but it's seeking God and listening God. And as God speaks, as Paul said in Romans 10:17, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the rhema word, what God speaks to you. 
And that woman, even though the healing happened about three or four years after God spoke to her, she hung on to that promise. And even though she was finally scheduled by the doctors to have that operation, she still hung on to the promise. And, you know, this is the difficult thing about prophecy, miracles, healing the supernatural, is God answers prayer, but he doesn't always answer it in our time frame. But sooner or later, hopefully sooner, we will wake up to the idea that God is the great I am and you're the great you're not. <laughs> he loves you absolute. That's, that's, that shouldn't even have to be debated. He loves you so much he gave you Jesus. But he's still God. And so he answers prayer. But I've seen so many healings where people have prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for years. And seemingly, you know, God was on vacation or something. But all of a sudden, it comes the time and the breakthrough. And not just healing. It could be difficulties in relationships. It could be financial things, career-wise, all sorts of things. And so the woman here in Mark 5:29, immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body she was healed. But Jesus, perceiving himself that power had gone out of him, immediately turned around the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said, Well, everybody's pressing in upon you. Everybody's trying to get a piece of you. And he said, No, somebody touched me. I felt power flow out of me. And he looked around to see who had done it. And verse 33, it says, The woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell before him and told him the whole story. No, the truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. I want to tell you, faith is not an emotion. It's not just reading a scripture and momentarily getting excited about it. And then when it doesn't pan out immediately, but it's taking hold of what God speaks to you. It's taking hold of these 1,700 verses of promises and blessing in the Bible and believing them. Because Paul said every promise in the Bible of God is yes and amen because of what Christ has accomplished. But here's the reality. There is a thief who wants to rob you of faith. The devil came to rob, kill, and destroy. And one of the things he wants to rob you of is faith, believing in the promises of God. And this may sound hard, but when it comes to fighting for your faith and protecting your faith, sometimes you even need to guard it from some other Christians. Because they may be well-meaning, but they'll say something to you like, well, you know, God's going to take care of you. Just live with it, you know. Well, God heals some people, but he doesn't heal everybody. And I'd be the first to admit that's true. I have prayed for people that have had absolute miracles with stage 4 terminal cancer, but I've also prayed for other people, even friends of mine, that I dearly cared for who have not been healed. There's a mystery involved. But yet when God speaks to you, you've got to protect that. You've got to fight for that. 
1 Timothy 6.12, Paul said, fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Hold on to the eternal life to which you've been called. The eternal life is in the Spirit of God. And as you lean into the Spirit of God, He will strengthen your faith. But you've got to have a, uh, there's a battle going on there. And it continues in verse 35, after this healing of this woman with this hemorrhaging, that while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house, Jairus' house, and they said to him, your daughter is dead. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. Your daughter is dead. About six weeks ago now, my oldest daughter, who's now 30, she had what was supposed to be a routine operation. And this routine operation, for most people, it means you're kind of out of commission for a week or so, and then you go back to work and everything, you know, you're, you're new and improved and all that sort of thing. Well, her operation did not go the way it was supposed to go. And she was in the hospital for a couple of days and brought home, and I was out of town at the time. But then I came back, and my wife took off. She was doing something the East Coast, but I was home for about four days. And now it's about a week after the operation, and it's a Friday evening, and all of a sudden heavy bleeding started. And I rushed my daughter off to uh, the hospital where they'd done the operation in San Diego, an emergency ward. Immediately they took her in, got her to her room, and tried to stem the bleeding and all this sort of thing, began to do tests. And so I was there from, you know, with her from about 10 o'clock till 3 or 4 in the morning, and they were going to do a procedure, an exploratory surgery, at starting at 7. So I went home just for an hour or two, got a little bit of sleep, and was back at 7. And they do the exploratory surgery in there most of the weekend. And uh, then my wife is flying in Monday night, and we're just spending all this time at the hospital. But Monday morning, I got back home late Sunday night, got some sleep, and I, I arrive about 10 o'clock in the morning at the hospital. And in the, the floor, she was in at the hospital, you'd be there spending time with her. And from time to time, you'd hear this, code five, code five, code five, and they'd say a room number. And all of a sudden, you'd see 10, 15 doctors and orderlies and nurses go running off to a room, full call, you know, emergency, all hands on deck. And so this happened a number of times. I'm hearing this for other rooms. But as I get off the elevator on my daughter's floor and I start walking down the hallway to where her room is, I hear, code five, code five, code five, and I see a bunch of nurses and doctors go running down where I'm headed. And I hear one of the nurses yelling to one of the doctors, she started bleeding again and she's losing a lot of blood. And I knew it was my daughter. And I get there, and in this hospital room, like I said, there were 12, 15 doctors, orderlies, nurses all on hand because the doctors are about to give instruction and everything. And I identified myself as a father. They're trying to keep me out, but if the grace of God, I pushed my way through the crowd. I love what Jesus said, the kingdom of God suffers violence. <laughs> and, I, and, and she was so weak from the loss of blood, she was, she was awake, but she was temporarily blinded. She couldn't see anything. I'm there holding her hand. <clears throat> and I'm thinking about this story because she's having a major loss of blood, <clears throat> and they're having to prep her for uh, blood transfusion. And they had to do a Can I get some water? Maybe that bottle. <clears throat> 
Oh, thank you. And they're prepping her for blood transfusion. But I'm thinking about Jairus here. That they come to him and they say, your daughter's dead. Don't bother the master anymore. Let me tell you something about God. He enjoys being bothered. If you get one thing out of this message tonight, get this. That when you're desperate and crying out to God, you're never bothering him. There might have been a time with a favorite teacher when you went for help that they gave you the impression you were bothering them. There were probably many times you went to your father and your mother and they gave the impression you were bothering them. But I tell you, in the depths of the Father's heart and the love of Jesus and the Prince of the Holy Spirit, you're never bothering him. And they said, don't bother the master. But Jesus hears what they're saying, that your daughter is dead. And he says these five words, do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, only believe. And starting that Saturday, through social media, I and my wife, who is back east, we sent out a lot of message to people. I think I sent a text to you, Alan, and I said, please be in prayer. Our daughter's in a very difficult situation, a lot of loss of blood. But we had several messages come back to us. Many, many messages came back saying we're praying. That was in good important, but even more better than that, we had some messages come back and saying, we believe God has spoken. She's going to be okay. And I took that as a word from the Lord, not just as a word of hope. I felt my heart, yes, this is God. And as I'm holding her hand, and she's very weak from this loss of blood, and they're planning, getting ready to do this transfusion, she can't see anything, I had such a peace from the Lord. Yes, part of me was very nervous and fearful as her father, but deep in my spirit, I felt the peace of God. And I, her name is Alexandria. We call her Allie. I said, Allie, you're going to be okay. And she knew when I said those words to her, I was not saying it as a nice platitude, just, you know, be encouraged, buck up. But she knew it was a divine connection that we were hearing from the Lord. And she took heart. And now the, they finally managed uh, shortly after that, later that week, all the bleeding stopped and she's had some transfusions. She's still rather weak, but day by day her energy comes back and probably even next week she's going to be able to go back to work. But I, I, I could imagine Jairus, this message, your daughter's dead, and then Jesus just, it, it must have seemed so casual, almost flippant. My daughter is dead, don't you understand? Do not fear, only believe. And so they went to Jairus' house. And it says in verse 37, He allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the rule of the synagogue, and Jesus saw commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. They mocked at him. 
And we could spend a week of sermons on this, but it is so important you do not allow your faith in God to be shaped by the culture around you. It is so important you allow your faith to be shaped by God himself, his word and his promises and the testimony of those who have already overcome. That's why testimonies are so important. They impart faith. I mean, sitting here in this room with you tonight, I, I see, is it Natachi, that you had that amazing healing of pretty severe diabetes a couple of weeks ago, How's your, or a couple of years ago. How's your health? And it was fairly severe, wasn't it? Yeah. And um, uh, my mind's gone blank. Leslie, where's Leslie? That you've had a couple of major healings here, haven't you? <laughs> that Paul said, God not only gives you the spirit, but he works miracles in your midst. And you cannot allow your faith to be shaped by what's happening in the culture around you. And sometimes, as I said, you've even got to protect your faith from some other Christians. And so it says, verse 40, they laughed at him, but he put them all outside, and he took the child's father and mother and those who were with them and went into where the child was. I love what it says about Mary, the mother of Jesus. When she saw the things happen with the young boy, she treasured those things in her heart. When God says something to you, when he speaks something to you that's vitally important to you, don't blab it to your 5,000 best friends on Facebook. Treasure it. Keep it sacred. Hang on to it. Maybe share it with a few people who are going to pray into it. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking. For she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. Turn, if you would, to Mark chapter 9. In Mark chapter 9, verse 17, someone from the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, (coughs) have compassion on us. Jesus said to him, If I can do anything, all things are possible for the one who believes. The next verse has one one of, I believe, the best responses to a faith dilemma in all of the Bible. 
the father cried out and he said, I believe, but help my unbelief. You see, Jesus said, if you have faith just the size of a mustard seed, it's like taking a a pen or a pencil, making a dot, a piece of paper. If you just have faith that much, it's enough to move mountains. And sometimes you might not feel like you have enough faith, but the fact that you have faith to call out to God, the faith that you have enough to cry out for God, the faith that you have enough faith to get prayer, to ask people to lay hands on you, it's enough. And when we go to God and say, God, I do believe, but help my unbelief, he will begin to feed into that to strengthen your faith. When we talk about fighting the good fight of faith, I'm not talking about stirring yourself. I do believe, I do believe, I do believe, like the little train trying to go up the hill. I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. That's not what we're talking about. But we're talking about turning a deaf ear to the lies of the enemy and seeking the face of the Lord. I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw this crowd come running together, He rebuked the unclean spirit. You mute and deaf spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. The little boy was like a corpse, corpse so that most of him said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he entered the house, his disciples said to him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. I don't believe he was speaking about spending hours and hours and hours in a deliverance situation. I believe he was talking about a lifestyle of prayer, worship, and intimacy with the Lord. But this man's statement is just so important. He said, I do believe, but help my unbelief. And I believe God will honor that prayer. The fact that you're here tonight in church, means you have enough faith to experience a miracle. Now, I want to close in Matthew chapter 11. And it says that as Jesus and the disciples, as they passed by in the morning, they saw a fig tree withered to its roots. And if you know the story, the day before they'd been walking by, Jesus was ministering in Jerusalem, but they weren't spending the nights there, and they're they're in the outskirts of Jerusalem, And Jesus saw a fig tree in leaf, which meant there should have been fruit. And he's hungry. He wants some fruit. So he walks up to it, but there's no fruit. So he cursed the fig tree. And there's a whole symbolic action there about Israel, the kingdom being taken from it. But nonetheless, the next day, as they pass by, this fig tree which Jesus cursed is withered from the roots up. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, saying, Have faith in God. And this is something I've researched in Bibles all over the world in at least 17 or 18 different English translations. I've looked at it in Spanish translations, Korean translations, Mandarin translations. Uh, everywhere I go, I ask, always ask the interpreters, what, how does your Bible read this? And almost always, not 100%, but 99% of the time it says, have faith in God. And what that sounds like is grow some spiritual muscles. Grow up, you wimp. 
Quit messing around in the sandlot. It's time to grow up. But actually, that's not, that is what Jesus said, but it's not how he said it. Because in the Greek, the words for faith and the words for God, theo and faith, they are what in the Greek they call the genetic possessive sense, meaning it's something that belonged to God. He did say have faith in God, but really what he was saying was have God's faith. Now, two hours ago before the meeting began, now I know you never, ever, ever in a million years have a shortage of water in Durham. But just suppose that we were, you know, some community on the verge, on the edge of the Sahara Desert, and you had been stuck, your Land Rover broke down, and you had been crawling for three days over the sand dunes, and you're about to die for dehydration, and you see this church, and you come stumbling in, <coughs> and two hours ago you had said to me, please give me some water. I wouldn't have had any water to give you. I would have said, well, talk to one of the leaders, talk to one of the stewards that wear those funny blue shirts they wear. And, uh, you know, they can give you a glass of water. I'm sure they have something. But now the church has given me this bottle of water. So if you were now to say to me, I'm going to die if I don't get some water, I would say, here you go. I've got something to give you. And I can tell you that I've seen so many healings and miracles when I have felt no faith whatsoever. But yet, as we lean into the Lord and as we pray, you feel God releasing faith to you in your heart of hearts. You may not say this outwardly as you're praying for a person, but in your heart you say, God, I do believe, but help my unbelief. And I'm not talking about emotion, but you sense in your spirit, all of a sudden, as, as the writer of Hebrews said, Hebrews 11.1, 1, All of a sudden, you know that you know that you know. You have the substance of what you're hoping for, the conviction of what's not seen. And it's at that point you say, be healed in the name of Jesus. Be healed in the name of Jesus. And you find that the things that are impossible for us are never difficult for God. Jesus said, have God's faith. Verse 23, truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, which was a Hebrew metaphor for an unmovable problem in your life, whoever says to this mountain taken up and thrown in the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive, for if you have anything against anyone, so your heavenly Father, who is also in heaven, may forgive you of your trespasses. There's a whole message there we don't really have time for, but your heart is, so to speak, the meeting ground with the Holy Spirit. It is the throne of your life. That's why it says in Proverbs 4.23, watch over your heart with all diligence because life flows from it. And if you and I want to step into a greater level of authority of seeing prayer answered, healings and miracles, part of our job is to keep our hearts pure before the Lord. And that means we don't hang on to offenses. Offenses are going to come. I think there's going to a verse, actually. Didn't the Bible say in the New Testament, offenders you have with you always? I love it when people say, well, I left my church. There were just too many problems. 
It's like one pastor said, if you want a church without any problems, you're going to have a church without any people. We're all on this highway together, and sometimes people cut you off, even though they didn't mean to. And sometimes people cut you off because they meant to. <laughs> it's, all like, it's all like we're going down to, to, you know, from here to Manchester, and you're hitting the, you know, it's chock-a-block, you know. And everybody's uptight and angry and hitting the horn and everything else. Oh, you don't do that. You're too polite. You need to move to Los Angeles or something. But, you know, things happen because all of us are dealing with immaturities and insecurities, and hopefully we're growing out of that. But offenses come. But as Jesus hung on the cross, completely innocent, having took he who knew no sin, taking our sin upon him, He hung there in just absolute pain and agony and with great effort raised his body up because his old diaphragm was painfully stretched out. The only way he could gasp for breath was painfully raising himself up through those those, those pegs through his feet. And he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And it is so critical that if we're going to go into a deeper level of experiencing the kingdom and extending the kingdom, We've also got to move into a greater level of our hearts being surrendered to God. Is anybody at all catching this? (laughs) So I don't want to preach on this point, but I just want to reinforce it because obviously Jesus said it, so it's vitally important. But he says, whoever says to this unmovable problem, be taken up and thrown in the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass It will be done for him. We were doing a meeting like this about six, seven years ago in uh, Stavanger, Norway. And we'd announced in the conference that we started Thursday that Sunday night we'd be praying for the sick. And three friends brought a friend who was just a week or two away from dying. He had cancer of the liver, stage four. And if you know anything about cancer of the liver, usually even stage two is considered fatal. He had stage four cancer of the liver. He had cancer of the blood. He had cancer of the bones. They brought him to the meeting, and when we began to pray for different diseases, his friends didn't have to completely carry but they had, but they had to be on either side of him, propping him up when they brought him up. And all they said to me was, he has cancer. So that's all I know. And as I began to pray, I felt the Lord flood me with faith. And I said, even to the molecules of your bones in your very most being, I bless you to be cleansed of all cancer. I didn't know he had cancer of the bones, but I just felt the Lord said from the the very depth of his body outward, the Lord was going to cleanse him. So that was about six or seven years ago. I, I went five years without being with that church. And then I was there two years ago doing another conference. And they said, this, on the second night, we're going to have a testimony from when you were here five years ago. So great. And so they brought up this man. And one of the people that came with them was one of the three friends that helped carry him up five years before. And he and his friend testified that he was so close to death's door. And they'd sent him home from the hospital. They couldn't do anything, maybe two weeks to live. And uh, he was home the next evening just laying on his couch in absolute pain and agony, dealing with, you know, just the emotion of about to pass on. And all of a sudden, 
like the woman I told you about in Toronto, all of a sudden the glory of God was there. And he just worshipped the Lord for a while, and then after about half an hour he felt the glory of the Lord lifting, and he realized all the pain in his body was gone. His friends were taking him two or three mornings a week to the hospital just to monitor him. They couldn't do anything for him, but just to keep tabs. He jumped in the car and drove himself to the hospital the next morning. And at the doctor's and nurse's station in the oncology section, you know, they look him walk walk in and they thought, oh, you're the brother of the guys. <laughs> and they did all the tests and they said, we cannot understand this. That hospital was actually working with a medical group in the United States doing research on cancer of the liver. And they sent the before and after test. And the group in the United States said, this is impossible. These after-test results cannot belong to the same person because you don't have stage 4 cancer liver and get over it. But he's in perfect health today. God has not only given us his Holy Spirit, but he wants to work miracles in our midst. How many of you think that in the midst of the weight of God's glory, there also could be a weight of responsibility upon us to fight the good fight? To not just be like the man at the pool of Bethesda. Well, I've gotten prayer before. I've tried it before. I went to the healing conference before. There comes a time, and that's the point of breakthrough. And I believe as a church, God is challenging you people that it's a new season. It's not just a new chapter for Taiwo going to Qatar. It's a new season for you as a church. And I believe things like what you're experiencing in worship tonight are just the tip of the iceberg. I believe you're going to have some nights where you're going to just do, you know, worship all night. And some people are going to think, worship all night. I know I can go at least an hour and 15 minutes. <laughs> but you're going to get there and you're going to be so overwhelmed by the presence of God. You're not going to want to leave in the morning. I I believe you've just got an incredible future ahead of you. See, this building you're moving into next door, the bigger building, that's just an outward reflection, really, of what God wants to do internally. Buildings are nice if they're nice, but they're not church. You're the church. So let's stand. Can we have the band come up? Are you still alive? Do we have another mic here? Come on up here, Leslie. Leslie Leslie loves this. This is her favorite favorite moment of the decade. Come come, come on up here. So I have completely forgotten what were you sick with? What were you fighting when I was here, I think, the first time? The first time was gotta hold that thing up. Um, ulcerative colitis, um, which they had actually operated, and I had the bowel removed, and they then um, they said you can't get ulcerative colitis because there's no bowel. But what they didn't tell me was the the shape inside, which was part of the small intestine joint. Um, they called it a pouch. 
And so they kept saying this pouchitis. And I was getting all these um, feelings again of not being well and what, what, ha- what comes with all of that. Um, and I went to the doctor and said, this just feels exactly like it did. Um, and they said, oh, it's pouchitis. And I thought, well, what's that? Yeah, did you just <laughs> make that up? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the same thing. Oh. And I was devastated because... Uh, basically, that means you've got a, a bag, all the things he said about that other lady. Um, and it was a shock, and there's no going back. So they sort of did all this major pioneering work, um, but basically they were telling me that that was there. So um, I came to one of these. I wasn't very happy. One of these things. <laughs> and sat as far away as I could possibly sit. Um, not feeling, well, devastated, that was the word I would use. And you, you, don't, you don't know me. You didn't know me. You probably know me a bit better now. Um, and you said all the words in the order, and that was the first time. And I came out, and you prayed, and um, I went back to the biopsies and everything again, and went back, and they said, we're going to have to operate and everything else. We just need to do this one more test. And I went expecting the worst. And they did all the tests and said, it's fine. It's perfectly, perfectly fine. In fact, it's more than fine. There's no sign at all of anything wrong inside that area. So that was definitely a miracle. Praise God. That was miracle number one. So I was quite used to doctors telling me I didn't have enough of something because I had platelet problems. Um, which means you bleed and everything else. So it was all combined into all sorts of things. And um, so I was quite used to doctors saying, you haven't got enough of something. And I went this time, wasn't feeling very well again. Um, completely different saying. And they kept saying, oh, you've got too many. I didn't understand it. And you, um, long story short, basically this condition, it's like your body poisons itself um, with the blood. So that was just like, oh, and there's no cure. But you, you, got, you can live with it. We can make you sort of all right. But there's actually no, you, this is it. You've got it. Um, so I was reeling from that. I can't even remember the name of this, this thing. And I'd come to another one of these things, <laughs> sitting at the very back. Not a happy girl. The, the, the technical term is conference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're an administrator. You should yeah. know this. <laughs> Um, so if you're like me you need God God works and I I am an example of him working even despite of me rather than because of me and I need these bleachers going on the flashing lights and everything it's you, you need to go, you need to go it's you and I wasn't going anywhere I was sitting right over the back I wasn't going anywhere and you named the condition hmm. I can't remember it it was a long sort of Latin name and I hadn't told I hadn't, I hadn't actually mentioned it to anybody and I, I came out and you prayed and they went and I went, was going to the hospital again and they did all the tests again and it disappeared it's like I never had it um, and there were no words because that was what happened praise God yeah Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
Let's just uh, let's just do one worship song, a little bit, and then we're going to pray.